Hello and welcome to episode number six of The Insider, brought to you by Vanishing Inc. And who brought us Vanishing Inc.? No one but Mr. Joshua J, who is joining me on the line today. Hello, Joshua. How are you this afternoon, this morning? Oh, it is a wonderful day here in New York. A little bit blustery and cold, but otherwise great. Okay. You've got 43 seconds. What's your origin story? <laughs> my origin story. My dad did a card trick for me and did not tell me how it was done. And that's my origin story. I had to go to my room. At what age? Figure it out. I was uh, six years old and he did Out of This World. Ah. And I went to my room and figured out how he did the trick. Charts, graphs, tearing up cards. And I figured it out and went back and performed it for him. And I always say that that cycle of like being a layman, being fooled, being an engineer, reconstructing the trick, and then being a performer, performing it back to my dad, that whole cycle is what hooked me. Because that's what we all do, right? As magicians, we love to see great magic and be fooled. We love to tinker and come up with our own methods. And then we love to perform. And I got all three of those, and I was totally hooked. Uh, did you did you create his method, or did you come up with a, a slightly different solution? You know Do you what's remember? interesting about it? I, I, I figured out the method to Out of This World, but I, for some reason, thought it was necessary to count exactly the first 26 cards as they deal, okay. which, of course, it isn't. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in most standard methods, you can just guesstimate it. But the one nice advantage of counting the cards is you can actually get some displays and shows in that you couldn't get if you just are are ballparking it, so to speak. Sure, sure. So uh, from a humble card trick to yada, 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 foolish, television, famous, blah, and now something very exciting is going on in Manhattan. So talk to me about that. You've got a new show. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like career-wise the happiest I've ever been because we're doing a show that I'm really proud of and it's by no means a perfect show it's a work in progress there are things that bug me about it I'm sure every magician feels that to some degree but on the whole six impossible things is um, something I'm really excited about and I wish everyone could see it is an experiential magic what show. does that mean so, Josh well, we hesitate to use the word immersive because it's become a loaded term that everybody's using mm -hmm. in and out of New York for all kinds of theater, even if they're just shouting things from their seats. <laughs> but it truly is immersive. It's 20 people per show, twice a night, coming through an environment and actually walking through an environment and seeing and experiencing magic up close and in most cases in their own hands. So they see magic in the dark. They see magic standing, seated, surrounded, on the floor, walking through an environment. And this just opens up so many possibilities. Imagine doing a trick, but one in which people view it from over your shoulder. Mm -hmm. Imagine doing a trick with a shadow where people are watching behind your back a projection on a wall. Doing magic totally in the dark, like where do you even begin? So it's been so fun because the blank canvas that we start with is not the same blank canvas most magicians are going, all right, so I'm on stage, we got the lights, they're in the chairs, it's 100 people. We are really getting to paint from square one and say, you know what, for this, we're going to do a trick one-on-one. -on -one. We're going to break up the groups and have people come through one by one. 
and it's all possible. How did you develop it? Well, I knew I wanted to do a show in New York. Okay. And step one was work with somebody way smarter and more talented than I am. So I partnered up with Luke Germay. And Luke, um, Luke and I wrote this show together. And then I brought it back to New York and staged it. And we ran it for a full month in previews in which I would say half the things that we had sketched out did not work for one reason okay. or another. And so we had to fix and rewrite and fix and restage and replace tons of stuff. And then, you know, we're, we've just passed our 100 show point and we're still tinkering with things. Now, those things are smaller. They're lighting cues. They're scripting changes. But they're important little changes. Of course. Those little tiny wrinkles are the things that can really make a difference. Absolutely. And it's just, it has shades of feeling like the Magic Castle. Because, you know, when you do the Magic Castle, when I do like... The parlor. It's twenty-seven mm-hmm. shows in a week, and and it's not just the frequency. It's not just the frequency of the shows. It's the it's the close proximity from one to the other that you can sort of go. Okay, in this show, I'm going to deliver that line, but I'm going to look right at the guy. In the next show, I'm going to look away from the guy, and you know, just as, as a little example, there's a line in the show that I have found just this week. The eight shows that we did last weekend. I thought there was nothing more to be gleaned from a particular routine. But the way I deliver a line, I now turn to my right and deliver it to like an audience member on the right side. And the laugh is exponentially funnier because of the blocking of like looking at one guy so I'm not looking at the audience at large. And yeah, it's just, it's those, those kinds of insights are so interesting to me because they're so hard won. So what you said you mentioned, I'm interested in the venue. So did, the, did you find the venue first or did you have the Because sh- it seems that the venue and the show are really interlinked. So what came first, the venue or the show? They are. And people ask, like, are you going to tour the show? Or are you going to take it somewhere else? It could never go anywhere else. It is built into this space uniquely. And, you know, the story of the venue is pretty simple. We looked at almost 30 venues across mm-hmm. New York. And every single one had the same attitude, which was like, here's our space, here are our terms, uh, can you tell me, can you put this much money down, you would need to guarantee this much before here. It was always money, money, money. It was always what we need from you, mm-hmm. right? This space, which is called the Wilderness, is run by two young architects, two uh, female architect um, graduates who sort of wanted to do something different with their career. And they were the only ones I met with who were like, tell me about your show. And then what happens? And then what happens? And let me ask you something. Could we be part of the design of the set and the space? And it wasn't until I sort of like was like, guys, 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 what about the terms? I mean, do you want to talk about availability? And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we can work all that out. We just want to know about the show creatively. And I instantly knew I wanted to be in business with these women because... They had all the right questions, and they had the right attitude, and they've turned out to be perfect partners. I mean, they are so handy. They have built out elements of the space for us. I said, you know, hey, I need a spotlight on the ground so my hands, so everything disappears except for my hands. Sure, come back tomorrow. We'll have it built for you. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of people they are. Oh, wow. So, How inspiring. That was fantastic. Apart from Luke, because um, uh, obviously a lot of people 
when they're thinking about doing a one-man show or some kind of magic show, don't go the director route um, but you have done with this but aside from Luke who else has helped you along the way with the journey so there's a um, a little town farm town kid uh, with a dream and a glint in his eye named <laughs> Andy Gladwin I don't know if you've ever heard of him uh, the name rings but, a bell um, yeah he uh, you know he's my sounding board we talk three four times a day most days so he was instrumental in a lot of it and, and you know he's like it's funny, you you don't just build a team when you take on a creative endeavor. You kind of have people that have roles. And I don't mean roles like stage manager, writer, director. I kind of mean more practical things. So Andy, for me, was straight shooter. So Andy's the kind of guy who I can give a whole idea to, read the script, inter- you know, give him the whole trick, and he will turn around and go, I got to be honest, doesn't grab me. Right. Or I think you're on to something. But we got to fix X, Y, Z. And I love, I love having guys like that. You need people like that around. And you can see magicians in our industry who don't have mm. honest feedback people in their lives because you're seeing them perform really nice things and, and you just you have weird questions like, my God, does he think that that jacket is, is normal? Does he think that that doesn't look weird? Right. Or does he realize that his opener is completely lame and obvious? Like, you know, you need people to help in that regard. I also have the other brothers on the team, and they helped collaborate on some of the material. And uh, they're wildly clever guys, so it's great to have them. And then the other thing is, you know, I've got a team of people that help with the show every night, people like Kevin Capinos and Matt Zatt and Jason Silverman. And these people aren't just people helping run the show. They are giving feedback every night. Hey, have you tried this? Or I want you to stand here instead of there. And, and those, those little one-degree changes, as John Gustafaro calls mm-hmm. it, they're so important. So if somebody's listening to this and they fancy doing some, not necessarily immersive, but putting on a magic show in their town, what advice mm. could you give them? Where to even begin? I mean, I, I don't know because it's... I, I, can only, I hesitate to give advice because the most important thing about any kind of show is to know what your goal is. So clearly my show, which is 20 people a night, is not to make money because mm. we've made every possible decision. We don't let people come back to the show, so we can't have any repeat business. My show clearly is not a moneymaker. It's not there to sustain my life it is a creative exercise and it also isn't a show that's meant to compete with like the illusionists on broadway or steve cohen who does this wonderful show in new york that is just such a crowd pleasing easy to watch amazing magic show my show is a storytelling show my show is meant to push the boundary of what the form of magic can be so taken on those terms i hope people really like it but if you're in your own hometown and your idea for a, a close-up magic show is just to entertain your guests, you have different goals than I do. Sure, okay. But across, across the board, to answer your question, the one thing I would say that we did really right, we've done so much wrong, but one thing we did really right is I scheduled almost a month and a half of what we call previews, which is really like get your stuff together mm-hmm. month. And I'm so glad we did, because when we did that first show, I think we thought we'd coast. You know, I'm a rehearsed guy. Mm -hmm. I didn't come in blind. I I knew what I was doing. And oh my God, that first night in the middle of April, 
for a June 1st opening, we realized we were nowhere close to ready. A lot of the things we thought would be strong were not strong at all. A lot of the things we didn't know would work worked great, but the order was wrong, the staging was wrong, and we had a month and a half to just play. And I am so glad we had that month and a half when nobody was taking any money. I didn't have to worry about being great. If I didn't like the way a piece looked, we'd just say, hey, to everybody, to friends and family, like, we're going to run that piece again. So sorry about this, but we want to try it backwards now. And just having that time, building that time in was really, really nice. Sure. Okay. Well, I can rephrase the question slightly in a way. What was the, what was the biggest mistake? that's happened since you started the journey? What was the biggest mistake? That's an interesting question. I will say this. You know, I call it the magic instinct. It's that ability to kind of like look at a a trick, whether it's a trick in a book or a trick you see uh, somebody else perform and say, I'm going to make that my own. I think I got an idea for that. And your magic instincts should logically get better the more time you're in magic. And, and sometimes I think to myself, my instincts are pretty good. I know it's going to work for me. I know it's not going to work for me. I know when I'm creating a trick, the beats that have to be good. But I got to tell you, most of the time I think my magic instincts just suck. I mean, absolutely, we thought that the centerpiece of the show, we, we thought that we were going to open with a trick that was kind of like a hypnosis thing was just going to knock people out cold. It was, it was almost like we had this trick and then the whole rest of the show mattered a little less than this one trick because mm. it was so damn strong and potent. I've never seen anything like it done in any kind of close-up magic show. I mean, it was physical and amazing and our own plot. And when I just tell you, sometimes you know like, like, we're working a trick into the show now that isn't quite firing on all cylinders, but we know it's going to get there. Conversely, when we ran this trick the first night twice for two different audiences, we just knew this is not fixable, this is not good, this is just bad. This is just really bad. Oh. And when that happens, you kind of, it takes the wind out of you because you're like, this was the thing that was going to get everybody on side <laughs> right. and the rest of the show falls into place. Then Luke and I said to each other, you know, we're doing all this experimental stuff. There needs to be a moment, a confidence building moment, a kind of release for the audience. So we built in kind of a classic close-up magic segment. Lots of good moments, chop cup done my own way, card effects, lots of climaxes. And that was meant to go like third in the show because we just thought we're going to get people so riled up, give them so many you know, moments and climaxes that then the rest of the show, we can do what we want. Mm -hmm. And very early on, we realized there is nothing stronger than good close-up magic. And we had to move that middle piece, that piece that was supposed to be, you know, building the pace. We had to move it to the end because uh, the, the planned closer was this poetic, nice moment, but it had to go second to last because people want the action. And, um, you know, you live and you learn. Okay, so talking of um, closing a show, I believe that you've been closing your shows for the last few years with a particular trick called balance. That's right. Balance has been, I mean, this is, this is so crazy, but um, we were asking, they were asking for me for pictures of me doing balance. And when I dug out some of the pictures, I realized that an event they were taken at, 
is now seven years ago. Mm. So I know it's really trendy for everybody and their brother to go, been working on this trick for 10 years, <laughs> guys. You can finally release it. And you're just shaking your head going, I know this dude came up with this trick a week and a half ago <laughs> and put it out. And, and I hate that. I hate that mentality. And I equally cringe when people brag about how long they've been working on something. But truly, those who know me can vouch that they've seen it. I did it in Australia a few years ago. I mean, I have been doing balance myself for a really long time. And working out the kinks has been a real process, a real education, a real learning process. And we finally got it to a place where I am so happy with it and so it's time to share it with the world so for those who have been hiding under a rock and have missed all of my advertising for it tell people what it is joshua so balance is a suspension effect and i would venture to say almost no magicians working today are doing suspension effects it's just a rare plot and what's wonderful about it is it's sustained magic so most of us build to like one climax one moment of magic in balance, the whole thing is impossible. You have six objects, various objects, examined, and you take those objects and you form them into an impossible sculpture. So a water bottle balances with a toothbrush coming out at a right angle, and then you balance a pencil on the tip of the pencil to the bristles of the toothbrush, and then you balance a card box on top of that and a crayon box on top of that at an angle so it's just the point that it's balanced on, and then a crayon is balanced on top of that. It sounds impossible, but more interestingly is the story in the trailer about this whole prison thing, Josh. Is, is that all yeah, true? Yeah, it's entirely true. Um, really? Pinky swear? Pinky swear, it's true. It's actually, what's crazy about it is it's actually a, a sort of composite of several prison pen pals that I have. When I wrote for Magic Magazine, that's a common thing that inmates in prisons can subscribe to Magic Magazine. It's something they're allowed to do. They promote it in there. So you do get a lot of people who write to me from prison. And, that, you know, my rule is if you tell me what you did, I won't judge you. Um, I don't judge, but I just need to know, and they have to be patient because I'm on the road a lot. And, um, yeah, so that's that's the idea. And these guys would write to me, and they'd say, look, you know, I'm doing magic in an environment where sometimes I can't even tell practice my tricks because I'll get beat up in my cell if I don't tell them how I did it. Or I do magic for gang leaders, and they'll beat me up if I don't tell them how I did it or if they make a fool of them. I can't use playing cards. I've got to make my own. I've got to use just a toothbrush and a water bottle. And so truly, that's what got me thinking along those lines of that plot to that trick. I guess because of the nature, I don't think I'm spoiling anything in, in as far as a lot of the items that you get are precision engineered. So I doubt, would they even be allowed them in prison? Can you send anybody a set? No, of course not. You can't send <laughs> Any props of any kind, the first thing they do in these max security prisons that I send, you know, I, I donate some of our books sometimes to them so they have something to read, they slip the covers right off. They just slip the covers themselves off because people can take a hardback book and fashion it into a weapon. Correct. How sad is that? Man. I mean, the, the most common thing that I get from these prison pen pals, is three in particular I'm thinking of, is that they say, you know, they, they, they're so appreciative when you write to them. And what they say is like, thank you so much, I feel like a human being wow. when I'm writing to you. 
And I always ask, like, what do you mean by that? And they're like, you know, when we're in here, the system is designed to make us feel actually like animals. We are kept in pens. The medical services we receive are more like what you'd give to an animal. We are, nobody looks us in the eye. We're told not to look people in the eye. I mean, they are treated as animals. And so when they're treated as humans, it's, it's special to them. Uh, how, how, how wonderful to be able to give somebody that. That's amazing. Um, well, it's like, kind of feel like it's the least I can do, right? I mean, it's just an email or a letter. Sure, but not that many people do it, so... Yeah, you know. So, how was the process in getting from? So, you started say seven years ago. There's a photo of you doing it. To to now, um, there must have been like a prototypey stage. But how was the whole manufacturing process of something this precision engineered? It's it's a, an undertaking. When I say bigger than anything we've done, that doesn't even do it justice. It's way bigger than anything we've ever done. These are six injection molded, custom made props. And I got to single out George, our project manager at Vanishing Inc. And he just, I mean, he practically deserves co-credit on the whole trick. (laughs) Because, look, I got it as good as I could. But I had my friends Tim Hill and Mike Masovic help me make mine. Beautiful, stunning version that I could do, and it was just great. But when you go to manufacture it, you not only run into problems, but you run into, like, potential improvements. So George was able to make these little design fixes. And I'll tell you right now, I mean, this is for magicians. There isn't one method that makes balance work. You know, you can't look at it and go magnets right. or string or screws because everything's examined. <clears throat> and some objects never leave your sight. Some do. Some objects are just touched together. Some the audience are involved with. So what's beautiful about it and necessary in a trick like this, if you want it to be deceptive, is combining methods. So it's everything, right? And George was able to really improve the method. It was actually better than what I brought to the table of like, here's what we want balance to be. Because the switching box, for example, this is what you use to switch the objects. He was able to put wings on it so that you can do it surrounded. It's just, Hmm. there's just so many little details in balance that I'm so proud of. um, And he gets a lot of the credit for that. Good old George. We love George. So we do. um, Who's it for? Who should buy it? So here's the great thing. And I know, again, this just sounds like every cliche magic dealer selling stuff, but it's true. The hardest part about balance is making it look hard. And I'm not going to lie, that isn't as easy as it sounds. I mean, it's completely self-working. You will be able to do it the first time right out of the box. But that said, to make it look really authentic, to make it look like right on the border of what's real and what's, what's magic, you have to sell it. And that's really a question of just like asking yourself, what would it be like if I could balance the tip of a pencil on a toothbrush? So it's Easy to do right out of the box. This is perfect for anybody doing parlor magic, anybody doing stuff for TV or YouTube or Instagram, anybody doing close-up magic. As long as you can put, like, I'd say a table's distance between you and your audience, Mm -hmm. then it's perfect for that. Um, You know, I think that it's for anybody who likes to tell stories with their magic. But if you prefer, I've been doing it lately, a lot of it with just all, the only thing is music. And that's really powerful, too. I love having just a quiet piece in the show. 
That's interesting. But what you said about the, the making it look like you're balancing something, that's kind of the same as everything with magic, no? Like a double lift yeah. should look like you're turning over a single. When you French yeah. drop a coin, you should look like you're taking the coin. It's like Exactly. You're simulating reality. Can you tell me about the, the cigarette and crayon thing? Because that's kind of interesting to me. Yeah, a lot of people are asking about that. So when I came up with it, I used a cigarette and a cigarette box because that's, of course, the currency in prison sure. and the most common thing. Um, when we went to manufacture it, of course, we very quickly learned it isn't just difficult, it's also unethical and not possible to sell a real cigarette to minors or to anybody else. So we don't sell the cigarette version. However, this is the key takeaway from balance. I hope nobody's going to do it like I do it. That's my story with it. You should be adding your own story to it. And so you don't have to use the props that we give you. I mean, you can change them out and use other things. So if a cigarette is much more common in the venues you're working than a crayon box, by all means, grab a cigarette box and within 10 minutes you can alter the things that come in this kit and use your own. And that's totally um, not just fine, but in we encourage that. It's easy to swap out a lot of these objects that come in the thing. I want people to think of balance less as a trick and more like a kit. Okay, so how much arts and craft is involved? You say 10 minutes. I am useless with like a craft knife and glue. I, I can't do any of that stuff. Seriously, how difficult I think, is it? I honestly, I honestly think 10 minutes is a very conservative thing. I mean, if, you're, if you know what you're doing, you can do it even faster than that. I don't want to give away too sure, much no, here yeah. just to protect those who buy the trick. But yeah, you're, you're talking about moving the little gimmicks from one object into your own object. That's all it is. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm very excited to see it in the flesh. I think mine is on its way. Um, so what's, what's next for, for Joshua J? So it's such an exciting time. Um, a bunch of things coming up. So number one is i got to finish this run of Six Impossible Things. It ends in December and then opens again March, April, May. If there are magicians around the world, we have lots of people flying in. I would love for you to see it and snatch up the last. I think there's about 100 tickets left total. What, for the whole three-month run? For the whole three-month run. We're like three-quarters sold out. So, um, yeah, so that's that. Then, of course, we have our two conventions, which in both cases are stellar years. We've got uh, the session going on in London, and we've got Magi Fest January 17th to the 19th. Magi Fest is in an almost sold-out situation. I think we're down to our last 25 spots. So that's going to be great. Juan Tamarez, uh, Guy Hollingworth, Jan Frisch, and a bunch of other people. So, yeah, so that's super exciting. And then um, I go to Blackpool as well in your fine country. <laughs> so I'll be seeing people there. And uh, that takes us through May. And okay. then I hope to get a good night's sleep at some point <laughs> in the future. That sounds like an admirable, admirable goal, Mr. J. Um, well, thank you very much indeed for your time today. I appreciate it. Um, and of I course. look forward to seeing you. Uh, when will I see you? In January. In January, that's right. Okay. All right. Take care, Take man. Care. Bye.